stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Okay, hopefully it'll be more entertaining than watching a single car going around a 2.5 mile oval. What will probably get a fraction of the views. It's Motorsport 101. Thanks, King, for taking that intro. It rolled right off the tongue. <laughs> Welcome to episode 85 of Motorsport 101 here on the Motorsport 101 Network. I am your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, and we have an extra special edition of the podcast this week because nothing really happened. Sort of. No, really, we're being serious this time. Like, I know Russia and Phoenix were hardly classics, but um, this time we really don't have anything because nothing we normally cover on this show had a Grand Prix this weekend. Well, apart from MotoGP, but you'll be getting that on Bike Live later this week anyway. So, um, yeah, we kind of have to hodgepodge a show together here out of a bunch of random stuff. Hopefully, with news and stuff like that, we'll be able to make it work anyway. So, with me on this one, as always, is Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. Uh, I had to uh, freshen up my German skills again over the weekend to watch DTM, but... I'll, I'll talk about that on my Keeping It 101, so <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I'll insert some German phrases now and again. Oh, God. <laughs> that guy's bound to be interesting. And we've got another special guest of you on this one. I think this is a third appearance on the show, King? Third, I want to say? Or is it second? Uh, third? I'm pretty sure third. We were supposed to have her back when Formula E came back around, but we never got to having that due to... Um, other things that will never be mentioned again on this show. Oh, oh, I don't know about that. Um, but um, in the meantime, delivering her hat-trick ball, it's in the post, making her third appearance on this podcast, she's an Autosport Junior journalist and one of the nicest people in the history of motorsport Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back, Miss Katie Fairman, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. <laughs> is now a bad time to say this is my second time on the podcast, if I completely oh. screwed over my introduction. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, yeah, like again, Dre. I said we were supposed to have her on a second time, but some, but something came up. It's okay. fine. I can just blag another time I was on here. It's fine. We're off to a good start, everybody. Yeah. We're, I mean, really, like I never watched professionalism. I love it. Yeah, well, that, that's been an abundance on this show lately, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> In the meantime, how are you doing, Katie? I'm really good, thank you so much for having me back, guys. I can't wait to get this show started. You chose a hell of a week to join us, by the way, I'm just no, saying. It's, it's good, we can cover loads. And I think the mailbag looks to be really full of great questions. So yeah, it should be it, a good it, episode. It, it, it sort of had to be on this occasion, thank God. But you guys really came through on that one. So uh, props to all you guys in the mailbag. We'll get to you towards the end of the show. But uh, let's get the uh, general housekeeping out of the way. Places you can find us. Motorsport101.net is our website, including a brand new blog I put up today. It's the first Diary of Dre entry, talking about MotoGP at Haref, Danny Pedrosa being an alien, and a Keeping It 101 topic I'll get to very, very shortly. But um, that is all that. You can have. You can go on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Motorsport101. There'll be a brand new video up on there by the time this goes out, talking about Storytime with King. And talking about the Ontario Motor Speedway. Good stuff. 
apparently. Um, so that is on there. You can follow us on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. And you can follow us on Twitter at, at motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow us on Twitter personally, we are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. And Katie, you can find her at Katie Fairman and where all good autosports are available. Jammy cow. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean that in a good way. Uh, and of course, if you really, really like us, you can back us financially by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101, including some really cool perks, including early access to not only this, but Bike Live as well, which will most likely be out probably by the time this goes out again, actually. So yeah, that'll be enjoyable stuff. We'll obviously be talking about all the MotoGP action that took place in Haraf. Including the sneak preview that's going to take place right about now, actually, as we get into keeping it 101. But uh, first of all, King, tell us about the DTM opening round at Hockenheim. <laughs> oh, uh, it was very interesting because the DTM, uh, the Deutsche Tourenwagen Masters, is heading into a completely new era of racing under a new CEO, which, Dre, I'm no- I-, I know for sure you're familiar with their new CEO, his name Am I? is Gerhard Berger. Uh, oh, this I didn't know. I legitimately didn't know that Gerhard Berger was now CEO of DTM. That's pretty lit, because Gerhard Berger is one of my favorite F1 drivers ever. <laughs> yes, and within like a couple of months of him taking over the series, um, it's starting to look like an entirely different series. Uh, number one thing he wanted to do, he wanted to make the show more entertaining for the fans and the show more open to the fans. So each Uh-oh. of the three manufacturers in the series, BMW, Mercedes, and Audi, they have to open one of the car's garages to the fans during the race weekend. Yeah, yeah, come come take a look at our show garage. That's that's, that's actually a really cool idea, though, to be fair. That, that, that's actually really cool. Okay, cool, carry on. Yes, and there was also a new raft of changes to to make uh, the DTM more exciting. Because one of the common things about the DTM is that it sits in this weird situation where, on paper, it is a touring car series. But it probably is nothing like any other touring cars you ever watched. Whether it be British touring cars, world touring cars, or Australian touring cars. Well, Australian supercars. But again, like mm. the DTM... Uh, they have this phrase for the DTM, uh, Die Snellsten Tourenwagen auf der Erde, where it's the fastest touring cars on Earth. He nailed it, by the way. Yeah, Great try night. saying that after a few drinks. <laughs> uh, yeah, you... well, well done, King. You, you've even been practicing that one, King. Uh, no. Uh, kind of like... Liar. It's, <laughs> Liar. it's kind of in their branding, so it's kind of hard to avoid. Because when you literally have the fastest touring cars on Earth, it's kind of... Uh, they're basically mini Formula One cars. They're Formula One cars with roofs. Because they're high downforce, high power, and they create a lot of dirty air. And we know what that does. It makes overtaking quite difficult. Yeah, no kidding. So um, what have they done to try and help make the show more entertaining for the fans then, King? Uh, they... Uh, lowered the downforce in the cars this year they upped the power from I think uh, 460 brake horsepower to even 500 Uh, they've also introduced uh, double file restarts after safety car periods their DRS they've also limited it the usage of DRS so you can now only use DRS about 36 times during a race okay so 
You're gonna have to earn your overtakes a little bit more now, basically. Yes, and now that now there's a lot less dirty air, it's easier to overtake. Also, they've gone the um, Pirelli way of designing their tires. They have softer tires this year from Hankook, and they also have a cliff now. So you're gonna have a lot more grip during that during that optimal tire, you know, range. But once you wear out the tire past a certain point, you're gonna drop off the cliff and have to pit. Ooh, so very very mid two thousand tens F one there, and um, it's gonna be harder to tell your team when you need to gonna go pit because they've also banned team to driver radio communication. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> okay, okay, that seems ridiculous. <laughs> and this is on top of the fact that DTM already has um a championship ballot like performance ballot <laughs> balance ballast which is kind of hard to pronounce in english yeah mm-hmm. performance balance ballast so like the the better that your team like your manufacturer's cars are the the more um the more ballast you're going to get and they basically do that through qualifying so the better your car qualifies the more ballast you get to kind of offset that you do get points for qualifying Ah, I see. So a qualifying point system, I see. Yes, which is also new for this year. <laughs> Neat. So race one, uh, to get to the race, race one actually went down to the last couple of laps between uh, Lucas Lucas Auer of um, of Mercedes and another name you know, uh, BMW's Timo Glock. You mean that guy that's apparently going back into F1 very soon? According to his own Twitter page, <laughs> have you seen that, King? No, I have not seen that. Has Has Timo Glock got like ahead of himself after getting a second place this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he has, but if you if you look at, I think it's Glock's Instagram, and it's, it's been it's been passed around on Twitter an awful lot today. Like it's him getting a seat molded in, in some sort of F one esque cockpit. According to Antonio Felix right. da Costa, it looks very interesting and apparently we'll all laugh our heads off regarding this. So, like, I don't know what team So, I've actually got his Instagram. I've got his Instagram <laughs> up right now. It says, happy to announce, okay. after a positive start into 2017, I got uh, a call straight from DTM, I guess, from F1 for, for a team to, for a seat fit. We'll let you know soon which one will be the first race that in talks. Ooh, and then a that's... picture of him looking very suspicious. I, I, in a... I wonder what team it is because he is a factory BMW driver. Hmm. I was like, did Pirelli need a new test driver? Maybe, maybe. That's what quite a lot of people have said. They think it might be Pirelli. Yeah, well, uh, Glock had his chances shot for a victory in race one uh, after he was overtaken out of the pits by Mike Rockenfeller, who you probably know from the World Endurance Championship. Uh, yes, sir. Glock was able to eventually get past Rockefeller, but not able to get close enough for the win. It also looked that Rockefeller, since he pitted late, that he had fresher tires to have a chance at the win. But again, he made a couple of you know mistakes near the end of the race and ended up having to settle for third in race two, which was uh, I think it was a wet, it was a dry to wet race. That race was probably slightly more exciting because uh, the British driver, Jamie Green, can't escape British drivers from international motorsport. Never. (laughs) Jamie Green recovered from a five-second time penalty to win the race in the race. Wow. That's incredible. (laughs) 
Yeah, so the DTM, exciting series. You should definitely watch. The races are up on YouTube, so... I, I wouldn't say, like, if it was a race weekend between, like, F1 and DTM, I'd probably still watch F1 over DTM, but I'd definitely watch DTM on the Monday afterwards. Well, so the races are on YouTube? Yeah, the races are on YouTube. Okay, I'll give it a watch tonight then after we put, after we finish the show. That'd be quite neat. We'll yeah, they the live stream there. the races, but I think certain countries that have the broadcasting rights, like here in the US, like CBS Sports Network has the broadcasting rights, so you can only watch um, race one. Race two on Sunday, you usually can't watch because that's geo-blocked. Don't tell RJ, he still hates them for it. <laughs> <laughs> Like we, like we told him about this, we told him about this on Slack a couple of days ago, and his response was, they're still dead to me, basically, <laughs> after that one. Which... I think, think there's also some highlights on the BT um, Sport Player, if any UK listeners that want to have a look. I did put them on for a, a few moments the other day and, and watched a little bit, but I have to admit, I didn't watch. So, so of all of those people out there like that are still, like have sold all of their kidneys to be able to afford BT Sports, there you go. There's a second option there for you. Um, this is the um, positives of living with my parents. <laughs> I, I can't talk on this one. I'm in the exactly same boat. Unfortunately, they're a lot more frugal. <laughs> but, uh, but I think uh, we got it free with our phone deal, so I'm not really complaining. Yeah, shut up. Uh, but, uh, Right, my turn, I suppose. Um, we, we we talked about this a little bit before we went on the air officially, but um, you're like King, like you missst all the drama at her ref with with Danny Kent, didn't you? Yep, <laughs> missed them all from them German race cars. Those German race cars convinced you. To be fair, it seems like a pretty good reason to convince you. But uh, like, I wanted to talk about this a little bit because like this is this is the deepest thing to come out of MotoGP this weekend. And again, we'll probably talk about this on Bike Live in a little bit extra depth because we, we hinted on it last week, but um, it's obviously taken extra development since then. So to catch you up, because if you have, if you haven't seen last week's show yet. Danny Kent was the Moto3 World Champion in 2015, like the first British Grand Prix motorcycle champion since Barry Sheen, 35 years prior. Um, So yeah, cool shit. Danny Kent moves up into Moto2 and basically turns down two MotoGP rides. Like, basically he was given the chance to jump up two classes like Jack Miller did the year before. He turned it down, he turned down seats with Pramac and Aspar to basically stay with the Kiefer team and go through Moto2 alongside Miguel Oliveira, who was the runner-up in that year's championship, ironically. Um, it was a struggle for both their riders. Like It was not a good season for Kiefer's first Moto2 effort in, in, in many years. Um, both of them, were, I think, were outside the top 20 in the championship. Oliveira was a point better than Kent. But um, three races into this season, in 2017 now... Kent pretty much refused to race at the Circuit of the Americas. Um, and then the big surprise announcement on Twitter the same Sunday night after the Grand Prix was, I think it was about 11pm our time, he just tweets, Due to irreconcilable differences between us and the team, I've decided to leave Kiev for races. And everyone was like, well, shit, where did that come from? Um, came absolutely out of nowhere. Um shocked everybody nobody knew what was going to happen next um earlier last week we found out that uh, oh yeah Akiyo is going to take him back at the Red Bull KTM team he's going to test the bike as we speak today in her F and he'll get a, a wild card entry at Le Mans in two weeks time um but there was a bit of a confrontation there because BT Sport obviously getting getting a lot of wind of this story they got both sides of the puzzle they got 
Stefan Kiefer, who is obviously the boss of the Kiefer racing team, and Kent's obviously former manager, and Kent himself, who was down in Haref to test the bike. And it basically had two very awkward clashes. They got Kiefer first. He said Kent was unprofessional. <laughs> and, and that, you know, he said that you need more than just raw talent to be, to be good in Moto2, which, to be fair, makes a lot of sense given Moto2 is a spec series and it's a series of precision, a lot of hard work, a lot of precision, a lot of, you know, getting the setups right. It, 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 there's a lot more to it than just ride the nuts off this bike and hope it goes fast, basically. Um... Yet, Kent kicked up a bit of a stink about the situation, said he was going to quit halfway through free practice one of the weekend, he was going to take his ball and go home, they convinced him to do the warm-up, but Kent was insistent he wasn't going to race, he quit the team that weekend, Um, so yeah, Kiefer criticised his professionalism, and then next thing you know, Kent is there during the pre-race build-up on BT Sport, it's Susie Perry's interviewing him. And Kent says, no, I wasn't being unprofessional at all. I, like, I was being professional. I, like, I think it was something along the lines of, I am being professional. I wasn't bitching about the team's problems last season when they were all coming about. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny, King, because it's like, well, what, what do you think you're doing now? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, you're like, oh, I'm being so professional by not leaking any information. But then I'm not going to, I'm not going to race this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just gonna quit. I'm just gonna quit my job, like, and then criticize my team. That's the professional thing to do, apparently. But um, yeah, Susie Perry kind of gave Kent both barrels, saying, "Well, wait a minute. Like, you're saying the team made mistakes and the team wasn't competitive, and he, and he didn't. We, you weren't able to make your potential. Well, why did Dominique Agutter at the Circuit of the Americas last week finish in fifth? And it's like, well. Kent didn't really have an answer for him on that. Or did have an did have an answer for her on that one? It was kind of awkward because Kent had to kind of waffle around the answer and say, "Well, I can see why people would think that, but the team kept making silly mistakes. They got my tire pressures wrong, and you know, <laughs> little excuses like that." It was actually really kind of funny seeing Kent squirm a little bit because he knew the, the line of questioning was kind of hard. And again, I was quite happy that Perry did go quite hard on a hard on him because well bt sport if anyone watches their coverage they are safe to say quite nice to the brits let's be honest if you're a brit or valentino rossi they love you if you're not well yeah not so great but um king now you've caught up like isn't it kind of crazy to see a guy quit a moto 2 team mid-season like this (laughs) yeah especially like maybe not mid-season but it's like what they're only three rounds in like, I find it crazy given, like, if the team was so bad, why did he stick around? Because Miguel Oliveira left at the end of last season to go to, you know, to go off with Io and start up with KTM. And uh, he's now on the podium regularly now. He's, he's doing, he's third in the championship right now. And Dominique Agatha is in the top 10 so far this season on the same bike that Kent just quit. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's ridiculous and like like I've, I've like Twitter like dumped on Danny Kent from a great height when they saw this interview. I saw I was talking to a lot of friends of the show like um like Zara Daniela who you may remember who did all some of the artwork for us last year. She's a tremendous follow by the way. Follow her, she's great. Um and they were just like, well, you can't really talk about being professional while throwing your team under the bus at the same time. Like that that can't really work and. If, if you want to find a lot of the both interviews in question, they're on the BT Sport MotoGP Twitter page. 
Um, also, there's a great debate on there with um, Neil Hodson and James Toesland, two of their regular pundits on there. And Toesland, again, Toesland had no chill. <laughs> it's, why, it's why I'm a big fan of Toesland, because I've met him in person. He's a really great guy. But on top of that, he, he has, he's not, he doesn't play by BT Sports rules. Like, he has no problem being a bit more savage than a lot of people do. And he just said straight up, well, he did the wrong thing by quitting mid-season. And no one in Moto2 is going to give him a job ever again now. Because not only has he gone in Moto2 on two separate occasions, but he's quit the class and gone back down. On two separate occasions now. So who in Moto2 is ever going to give him a job again? And then Hodson on the other side of the table was like, well, wait a minute. Like, he's still only 23. He's still got all this talent. This is only going to be a blip for him. And again, I said it on before we went on the air. I think Hodson was saying this because he himself quit MotoGP when he was on a satellite Ducati in 2000. I think it was 2006 or something like that. He, that he, he quit MotoGP. He's off to go back into Superbikes. So... Hodgson knows what it's like to quit a team mid-season, um, basically. Um, but one more piece of information I'd, I'd recommend before before going is that um, moving on to the show itself. If if it, I, I highly recommend a piece on MotoMatters.com called "The Rise and Fall of Danny Kent." It's written by David Emmett, who's one of the best black journalists in the business. I highly recommend you follow him as well on at, at Twitter at David Emmett. Follow him. He's fantastic. And he writes a long, I think it's a 3,000 word piece on Kent's situation and why it all went wrong for him. And actually he gave Kent the right to reply as well, which is something you don't normally see in journalism, which I think should happen more often. Like they, he sent the piece to Kent himself. Kent read it and sent a response. So I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's in there. So highly check it out if you haven't already. It's a really, really great piece. King, you, you wanted to talk about this one. It looks like well, we know that Sepang is not going to be on the F1 calendar anymore from from next year, and um, it looks like the the aftermath is only just just becoming clear now. When it seems that Bernie is kind of in remorse, kind of strange. Yeah, it's it's a weird remorse. Like he's admitting to certain things that he wish he could have done differently. Which, like, looking back at it, like the promoters on the other end of the on the other end of these deals are now feeling extremely ripped off. Because I think Bernie Eccleston, in an interview with Autosport magazine, uh, kind of made kind of implied that he felt that he overcharged these venues when he made up, you know, these new races that we've seen in the 21st century, starting with Malaysia and then most recently the trip to Azerbaijan. Yeah. Yeah, quote from him, like direct quote. Uh, when I convince people to build this place and all the other places, I feel a bit a little bit responsible. I charge them too much for what we provide. So when they ask me, when they ask me things, I try to help them. This has not like nothing to do with liberty. On my watch, we didn't deliver the show that that we charge people for. Wait, wait a minute. Did Bernie just admit he got it wrong? Yes. Like, 
Stop the presses, people. Like, we may never see this shit again. Like, like, holy crap, Bernie just straight up admitted that, like, the product wasn't good enough. Like, that's kind of nuts. <laughs> Go yeah. on, <King>. And <laughs> then we get a response from the, the CEO of Sepang Circuit, uh, Dado uh, Razlan Razli. <laughs> Uh, I just felt Nailed ripped it. off in some ways, even though we weren't forced to sign the agreement. But to come up with a statement like that, how does that make us feel? All the time you have been overcharging us, and we're not, and we are not getting what we want, such as good racing and access to drivers and teams. Of course, nobody put a gun to our head. But for you to come up with comments like that makes us feel worse. It makes us feel like we've been conned, and we're not getting what we paid for. This sounds like an epi- this this sounds like an episode of Maury Povich. This is not like this is nuts. And then like it's like Bernie to Reuters. He he gave a response. He said, and, and Bernie said nobody made him look stupid. It's difficult to make people look stupid, and if they are, they are. If- <laughs> <laughs> what a line that is. <laughs> They they have done a really good job with motorcycles. He's fallen in love with motorbike racing, and apparently they make some money. They make money from it. Uh, with Formula One, they don't make money. And what I said, uh, what I said was, we haven't been delivering what they bought. It's not our fault. We don't make the show. Personally, I disagree with that statement. Unless, no, like, <laughs> that's not. That's like, not a, Bernie, you are the show. Like, come on now. But, but <laughs> thankfully now. If Ferrari keep up their job and other people do the same, we'll have very good racing, and then things should be a lot better for the promoters. They should be able to sell tickets, and it makes us feel like we've been... And it, it, it makes us... It like, they've been able to sell tickets, and, you know, they won't, won't be able... They won't feel conned anymore. <sighs> well... Like, that's amazing. Like, it's like Bernie is, like, kind of holding responsibility for you know, F1 not being the product they anticipated it was going to be over there. Because this is not a new thing. Like, Sepang's been on the calendar since, like, 99. I think it, I think it made its F1 debut. 98 or 99. Someone in the comments will correct me on that, I'm sure, but I'm yeah, pretty it's, sure it's it was... 1999. 99. I was right the first time. For once, I was right on a year. Um, that never happens. But, like... Like, it's funny, because what Rosali said does actually add up, because... Not only is like because MotoGP last year they had ninety two thousand fans for their Grand Prix last year. It was a sellout, um, and they've sold out for the last few years in a row. And if you ever watch the Sepang race now, there is a sea of yellow for Valentino Rossi fans every year. Like, it, the Turn One Grandstand, it's a sea of yellow. It's crazy. Like they like they're. That, that is a bike racing part of the world in general because they love bikes over there. Like Malaysia, Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand that's got a world superbike race and could have a MotoGP race very soon as well. They love their bikes over there. So that totally makes sense that you know they've grown MotoGP in the years they've had a, a race over there. But on top of that, apparently MotoGP sanctioning fees are 10% of what Formula 1s are. Which makes a whole and- lot of sense. <laughs> Yeah, so it goes hand in hand with, with, with Bernie just straight up admitting, yeah, we overcharge these dudes when, yeah, MotoGP, which actually is profitable for the circuit, yeah, it's 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 literally 10 times cheaper than what it would cost to run an F1 race over there. And they weren't making money back on concessions either because their tickets were always dirt cheap, King. Like, apparently it was like 80 quid for a weekend ticket in Malaysia. Yeah, like, like uh, Malaysia has Malaysia has always had the cheapest Formula 1 tickets on the calendar. Yeah, because wasn't it Petrobras? Like, don't they like um, subsidize the race pretty much? Yes, yes. Uh, 
Petronas, which is the the you know Malaysian state-owned oil company. Basically, they use it as a way to advertise. So the Malaysian government pays the fees for them to host a race, and that's the way that most of the races on the calendar, through some way or through some means, it's government-backed. The only race on the calendar right now that is not government-backed at all is the British Grand Prix. Yeah, and let's be real here, they've not exactly had the best of times promoting that one either, despite getting 140,000 fans in there at pretty extortionate prices, to say and the like, least. It's it's weird to think about, why do we have like these races to begin with? Because between, like, the, between Malaysia getting introduced on the calendar in 1999, the newest, like, the newest mark, like, a new race on the calendar in a new market, the last time that happened was in... 1985 when Formula 1 went to race what was then behind the Iron Curtain in, in Hungary. Between between 1999 and like 1985 like the only new like that was a whole period of where Formula 1 just didn't expand at all. Like there was the, the Luxembourg Grand Prix which was just a way to have two races in Germany and the Pacific Grand Prix was just a way to have two races in Japan. F1 didn't expand to any new markets until 1999. And then after that, you got this whole wave of new markets for Formula 1, where they went to Malaysia in 99, Bahrain in 2004, China in 2004, Turkey in 2005, Singapore in 2008, Abu Dhabi in 2009, Korea in 2010, India in 2011, Russia in 20, like Russia in 2014, and obviously Azerbaijan last year. And that like makes up now like half the calendar. That's sort of nuts that like, in the space of 15 years, like, F1 didn't venture out, and then in the next 15, they've done nothing but pretty much go to all these flyaway rounds, and, like, King, it's like the net return on these flyaways, like, they're not really sticking, like, when it comes to fans' eyes on the calendar, like, like I still think there's a lot of fan bias towards the, the older historic venues, I don't think any of these newer rounds have really bedded themselves in outside of maybe Singapore. Yeah, and it's, it, brings up the question of is what is Formula 1 getting back from going to these new markets because like I'll probably go into it later but F1 is always like F1 racing in general has always tried to expand to new new like newer and newer markets but they've always had a concrete reason but I can't find a reason to why we've had this new wave of trying to globalize the sport other than you know the massive contracts that Bernie mentioned yeah it's like I don't see where the net return is on something like this because I think, if anything, people loved the calendar more when it was more of these historic venues like Hockenheim when they were going through the forests or, you know, just having a German Grand Prix on the calendar, having Magni Cour on the calendar, for example, when it was the French Grand Prix through until 2008 um, and places like that. So I, I, the only one that's really sticking out to me right now is Singapore because that is basically Monaco 2 now at this point. And even that's risking not being on the calendar anymore soon because, again, they can't afford to host the race, which is nuts because it's Singapore, for crying out loud. It's a beautiful spot of the world, and, you know, it's it, it sticks out as a night race. But, again, we have, like, two of those on the calendar. We have three of those on the calendar now to have night races, so it doesn't stand out so much in that front either. I mean, King, if you can't put your finger on a reason, then then what happens next? Like, are we going to see like an exodus of these rounds soon? Uh, it's, it's, it's starting to feel that way, isn't it? I mean, we lost India and Korea already. Yeah, because they couldn't afford to do it. Like, 
they they realized they couldn't afford it immediately and cut the cut the cord. Yeah, and you know, it, for for Malaysia, it was a slow burn. It was a seventeen year process, but now they're they're considering no longer being on the calendar anymore. And because like, King, like if I have to on. like put a finger on like to go back like the 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 wave of additions before that was in the seventies when like it seems like obvious now of why they got added onto the calendar why. Brazil got added onto the calendar because that was, you know, after, you know, Fittipaldi won his title. And why Sweden got added onto the calendar for a couple of years because Ronnie Peterson was in Formula One. Or why Japan, because Japanese manufacturers are getting involved in Formula One. Like, involvement came first, then they got added onto the calendar. And it it's not like that now. <laughs> so, um, Katie, you looking forward to Baku welcoming you back later in the year? Well, I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed Baku. It wasn't my favourite race last year, not at all. But no. I think, yeah, it was certainly got my attention. You know, uh, the the track itself and those n- tight corners. It looked like it was going to be absolute mayhem. But then, obviously, during the race, uh, expectation fell flat, and it, it proved to be one of the most boring races on the calendar, which is pretty disappointing. I think we're mm. all expecting like this massive pileup. Especially when yeah. they go, is it like run the castle? I don't know if there's a castle. Yeah, the the really yeah. thin castle through turn yeah. turn eight. Yeah, and I think we're all like rubbing our hands together, expecting this crazy expensive pileup, and nothing happened. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it if it carries on to be on the calendar, it might be something that I look at going to one year. But no, it's definitely not going to be one of my favourites. No, so Katie, here's an opinion for you. Here's a question for you, like. Is there any of these newer rounds that, that appeal to you as a fan more than, say, the historic ones, the ones that are more familiar, like a Brazil or an Australia or obviously a Britain or a Germany, for instance? I think Singapore definitely is mm. one that appeals to me. Um, I've got quite a few friends that have been to them, and although they said it's expensive, like quite a lot of people have fed back that it's almost as expensive as going to Monaco. Um, yeah i know just by being there and the pricing and of of everything um yeah singapore is one that i definitely like to go to and also well i would have said um you know malaysia but that's not there anymore (laughs) Uh, but yeah go there for a motor gp race instead (laughs) yeah exactly yeah there'd definitely be better racing yeah um yeah um but at the same time i'd also like to See a return of some of the older races that we had. So, like Argentina and South Africa are two races mm. that I would, I think, would be great on the calendar again. But I do know, and I don't know how much of an exclusive scoop this is. When Bernie was still in power, he took quite a lot of trips to Argentina to meet with people to try and get that the race back on the calendar. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Argentina doesn't seem likely because of the state of their government finances to the point no. where I think I remember last decade they had part of their navy repoed. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Financially, yeah. I don't know how possible or plausible it would be, but... It's, it's funny because they've got, they've got their MotoGP round on the calendar now. They've, they've had their MotoGP mm. round there for about 
four years now. So like they are making steps in motorsport progress. So that's concerned. Yeah, like the, um... if, if it was entirely privately funded, like the Argentino MotoGP race, like if that, yeah. like then it would be possible. But if the government had to back it, it would not be able to happen. No. I think maybe Bernie was hoping for an IOU or something. <laughs> he's, a, he's probably seen it. He's probably seen a few of those in his time. In, but, uh, I mean, King, before we move on real quick, like, how do you feel this will impact the future of the calendar? Because, I mean, we've seen, we've said it before, like, there's 20 races now. There was 21 last year. Like, Liberty are, are seemingly wanting to lean towards a 25 race calendar. Uh, and yet, these flyaway rounds are not surviving right now. So, where do you go from here? Uh, they need a concise vision on what they want the calendar to look like, about why they want to ha- have you know, these rounds outside of Europe. Because we've always had reasons to to why to, why we went overseas, even back in the old, old days about why they, like, uh, the first time that there was ever a race to purposely expand racing's market was in 1903. Yikes. <laughs> where, where um, the French automakers, like, uh, this is back in a time where industrialization was fairly new so there were still countries in europe that still weren't as industrialized as others and the big marker on that count like on their calendar of where they wanted to expand to was spain they 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 had the 1903 Paris madrid race from paris to madrid over open roads i can i'm not going to get into the full story of the race just to give you a hit the race never made it to madrid and it has the nickname the race to death oh good <laughs> But a bright and cheery nickname there. <laughs> let's let's just they started they started having races. Um, they 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 tried to expand to Spain in 1903, and Spain didn't have a Grand Prix winner until who came along? Fernando. Yeah, Fernando Alonso. Who we'll get to? Like, it can be extremely hard to get to expand to other markets that that really need to embrace it, and for other reasons like. There are other reasons why Spain couldn't embrace uh, Formula One. And, like, other countries, when they try to expand to, like, I think the decade before, they they purposely expanded into Britain, and obviously that has been, like, gangbusters. Like, Grand Prix racing is Britain now. Pretty much. Like, I think, like, the first... It wasn't, like, legally they couldn't call it a race, but it was a race from... It was uh, a race in 1896 from London to Brighton in the South Coast. And uh-huh. Hometown. Yep. Uh, it was a race from, like, they invited two French teams and an American team got invited as well. It was actually the first time American cars were in Europe. And but because it wasn't a race, uh, I know the French team won, despite like all American reports saying otherwise. Like I, I've looked up historical <laughs> records. I, like uh, no one says that Frank DeRay's car is lost, even though I know for a fact that they lost to, um, uh, uh, I think a uh, uh, like uh, a Bolet car, which eventually like. For a time, like the, the like the Bolet Vaucheret was like a small miniature car. It was like the most popular car in Britain at the time. It was, I think, who would eventually become King Edward. Uh, the first he was the first member of the royal family to ride in an automobile, and it was a Bolet. And it was like that was 
the automobile's first introduction into Britain. It was not a British-built car. It was a French car. <laughs> so, King, let me get this straight. One, not only this wasn't a race, more a cannonball run. Uh, and, and, and two, was that you, the American, providing us of alternative facts? Yes, yes. Like more than a century ago, the American the American press tried to create alternative facts by saying that the Dorea Motor Company won the nineteen the the nineteen ninety I mean no the eighteen ninety six London the Brighton race. Right, like America was way ahead of North Korea on the feeding people fake news thing. I see. And I think I, I think I tweeted it out like a couple weeks ago, where I actually did the research, and the buildings used as a start and finish line in the London and Brighton race still exist today in modern London and Brighton. Neat. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the finish line in Brighton still exists because it was a hotel. It was the Hotel Metropole, but now it's known as the Hilton Brighton Metropole. It's, hey, I know that one. Yeah, it's on, I think it's on King's Road, right on the beach. This but, is going way over my head now. Whooping <laughs> Brighton when you're, like, dishing out this insane historical knowledge. And I'm like, oh, Brighton, I know that word. <laughs> I live there. Katie knows this place. References. I've, I've heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, it's, part of, it's parts of Brighton I recognise. <laughs> <laughs> but besides that, like, yes, like... Sometimes you expand and it works, but it usually takes a lot of time because, to, like, first race to first Grand Prix winner took literally a century for Spain. Hey, man, they got there in the end. <laughs> they got there in the end. One guy which, made it. One guy climbed the mountain. Which is actually kind of a beautiful segue, really, because... Um, yeah, Fernando Alonso apparently went to some place in Indiana and drove around an oval for a bit. I don't know why, but apparently it was a big deal. <laughs> it's a big um, deal. Over a million people watched. Actually, over two million people watched. Yeah, Fernando Alonso arrives at the brickyard, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, this was a big deal. I, I, like, unlike what certain female journalists may or may not have told you on the internet over the last month or so, this was a big Jennifer. deal. This. Hi, Jenna. How you doing? Hope you're listening. Great journalism, by the way. Like, really, really. I mean, it was a, it was an absolute star-studded piece of garbage. As anyway, a fun, as fact, was... fun fact, um, the Taylor brothers still undefeated in IMSA as they win yes. in the Circuit of the Americas over the weekend. Yes. You, you had to get a Taylor brothers in there, didn't you? You had, had to get to. the Taylors in there somehow. You, you biased American just because the Taylors <laughs> are cool people. <laughs> Okay, right. As I was saying, Fernando Alonso rolled up at the brickyard, and the reason why this was the, was this was the case is because it was him trying to complete the rookie orientation program for the Indianapolis 500. Um, this see, this is the cool part because King's got the really cool voice, so now he gets to narrate the important details as to what the rookie orientation is. So go on, King. Okay. Tell us about it. Okay, uh, the rookie orientation program is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's standard process of making sure that rook- rookies are accl- acclimated and competent enough to race in the Indianapolis 500 because it being the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, cornering speeds are about at 215-ish miles an hour on race day so you don't want to have a mistake at 250 miles an hour because uh, you're inexperienced so they always make sure that rookies are competent enough to race the speedway to do this, they send out rookies in single car runs to complete uh, 
kind of uh, single lap speeds up over you know stages to get them adjusted to racing at high speeds. So uh, they they sent out one cars one car at a time. In Alonso's case, he's the only car out there because uh, rookie orientation for everyone else is next week. He couldn't attend because he'll be in Spain for the Spanish Grand Prix. So they got. IndyCar bending over backwards to get the new boy in there. How, how nice of them. <laughs> yes, he gets to take his rookie orientation test early. So, stage one consists of 10 laps at uh, 10 laps between 105 and 110 miles an hour average speed over a lap. Stage King, that's 205 and 210 sorry, sorry. miles. <laughs> 200. There's a bit of a difference there. Yes. <laughs> Then 15 laps at 210 and 215 miles an hour. Then last stage, 15 laps between 215 and 220 miles an hour. And apparently, well, I shouldn't say apparently, we all watched it. Alonso did those laps, uh, except for I think the second stage of 15 laps, he all did those laps on the trot, which is insane. Because usually uh, they go out there, do it like a three-lap stint, you know, feel comfortable and then do all the laps that they have to do left Alonso just went out there and did it yeah it was it was it was, it was seamless from Fernando you see he just got it out of the way had a couple of warm-up runs just 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 just, just obviously feel out the car and then off he went and he it was like clockwork he just banged out those laps straight away and the entire internet was just in awe like they were just they were complete I was watching I had a day off work ironically when I saw this happen and just seeing the amount of people just mystified by what they were seeing, like it's it's Fernando, he's here, he's actually here, he, he he's there. The car is orange, it's beautiful. Like, yeah, the orange was fantastic. Yeah, the, by the, the way, the, the vintage livery, the vintage McLaren IndyCar livery was just so awesome. Yeah, that that was fantastic. I love the old school helmet design that he had as well for it. I want that in one by two form already. Bell, make it happen, please. Please and thank you. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, like it, it made it look so easy, King. Like it, it was like he'd been here five years already, and that's just kind of gnarly because it's Fernando Alonso. Why are we surprised at this again? Yeah, like his, his <laughs> like I think Michael Andretti said it was perfect because like they the rookie orientation is to make sure you feel comfortable at high enough speeds. Like Alonso is not going fast enough to qualify and pole out there, but just like that is literally his first time on an oval. Period, like, and that ca- like all that car that he sat in had was like they had Marco, they had Marco Andretti run out there in the morning to you know get Alonso a comfortable baseline setup so he could go out there and do you know go out there and do the program, and he goes out there and pretty much like he didn't hit his goal. He wanted to he wanted to get uh, a lap speed of 125 miles an hour. He couldn't get he couldn't break one t- 225. I mean, sorry. 225. <laughs> two he couldn't get his goal of 225. He got he got 219.5 he got 219.6. So you got, it's good start Alonso. You, you still you still have some ways to improve, but for a rookie that was awesome. That was fantastic, and um, unfortunately, McLaren still found a way to be disappointing. Not no, joking, <laughs> um, but like to put it into perspective, James Hinchcliffe's pole position from last year was two hundred and thirty point six, so he's still got about ten miles an hour to find. There's no guarantee he finds all ten of those miles between now, obviously, and then the the race itself at the end of the month. 
But in any case, still, still a very, very impressive Ricky orientation. And again, it was like clockwork watching it all go out of there yeah, for Andretti. Like uh, I would say, the the setup that they normally use for rookie orientation, you couldn't set the pole time with it because they no. usually give the guys downforce. Because believe it or not, um, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the the cars themselves generate so much downforce that they run the wings with lift. So you get up force yeah. instead of downforce. But for rookie orientation, they give they put the wings. They set the wings on downforce, so they have more control than they otherwise would. <laughs> Katie, like, did you did you get a chance to see this live as it was going on? What did you make of it all? I didn't. I was working, unfortunately, oh. so I didn't get a chance to see it. I know, but um, I did catch the fact that he managed to completely demolish two birds whilst on the track. What <laughs> 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 came up like things you might have missed, not the fact that Fernando like gone into the track, the fact that he'd killed these two birds with such skill. Like yeah. he, like that's what Twitter so, prioritised. Is what I should know first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like that—that that is clearly very important details, King. He went full Andrea Iannone and 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 basically killed wildlife, on by, whether by accident or very intentionally. I don't know, King. What do you, what do you, what do you reckon? <laughs> uh, completely accidental. Like, <laughs> oh my god! I, like I've never seen a double bird strike at, at the same. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen one, but we've never seen a double. I've never uh, seen a double bird strike. Oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, I, I, I've seen double birds in IndyCar before, but never a double bird strike. Oh. Shout out to Will Power and Scott Dixon. Um, yeah, like, not like it's, it's, it's amazing. Like just the, the timing of it, like to have two birds show up at exactly the same time and they both get run over on both sides of Alonso's car. I, I can like, just imagine like a little birdie couple. They're like, "Oh, there's a nice golf course over there. Yeah, let's, let's go fly over to that golf course over there. We just have to cross this road, <laughs> and then oh my god, <laughs> splat! Like tarred and feathered by Alonso's Firestone Reds. Um, yeah, not not pretty, not pretty. Um, <laughs> rest in peace. Like, are we going to name it like, like we did with the seagull that, that Ian only killed at MotoGP in Australia in 2015? Are we going to come up with a name for these birds now? Have we come to that yet? Stupid uh, one and stupid two. That works too. <laughs> or how about, how about Sebastian and Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> We can't endorse this, King. Sebastian Vettel breaks for wildlife. Lewis Hamilton doesn't. <laughs> yes, I'm still salty about Canada last year. Sue me. Um, well, um, let's see. Katie was uh, in a small contingent of people who didn't watch that test in the UK, apparently, because the the viewership numbers came in, and they were massive. Um, 30% of all web traffic to IndyCar.com actually came from Europe during the test. Um, wow. on, on Facebook Live, uh, over a million people watched, like, over a million unique people watched the test on Facebook Live with the largest viewership coming from the United Kingdom. Woohoo, but not me. But now you, yeah. And, you, let the, you, let the, you let the side down, Katie, how dare you. Yep, and over a million people also watched on YouTube. So, yeah, in total, over 2 million people watch a single car go around a 2.5-mile circuit. And remember, remember, kids, Fernando Alonso doesn't move the needle. Yeah. Quote, unquote, Jennifer. Yeah, Alonso... 
clearly Alonzo isn't the big name draw. I'm pretty sure that Taylor Bros could have got 10 mil. No, no. Like, we're going to wheel out Buddy Lazier one more time. We'll throw him out there in the car and he'll be just fine. He'll get 50 million viewers. He's a brand name, King. Roll with it. Buddy Lazier is such a brand name that when you said his name, your audio cut out because the internet couldn't handle it. Yeah, like, like again, the internet clearly thinking ahead and, you know, basically anticipating the reaction of what was going to happen. And they thought, for the good of everybody, they'd shut my mic off for, the, for that half a second. Probably for the best, in all hindsight. But it is kind of crazy to see that the United Kingdom were the people that were most interested. And again, as, as King mentioned, GP racing is pretty much the UK at this point. But IndyCar's kind of a different kettle of fish, King, because it's such a domesticated series. So, yes, it, like, it is still technically the national championship. Like, it is our national championship. Yeah, exactly. And so for so, for so many of the United Kingdom to make an effort and tune in and chip in like this is crazy. And, like, that sounds great, but King, what was the reaction like in his home country of Spain? Um... Uh, trending on Google search at the time was um, Quien es Fernando Alonso? Which, if you don't know Spanish, who is Fernando Alonso? The, the, they're clearly all Mark Marquez fans over there. Like the <laughs> the, 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 the ball the ball has moved. Like the, the goalposts have been have been moved in in the ten years since Alonso won a world title. They've, they've stopped caring and they've gone all into bike racing now. They're all too busy celebrating Danny Pedrosa's latest win. <laughs> clearly. Oh dear. Um, oh, oh dear! Like, but the, I mean, like the, the drivers themselves were excited for this because you, like, if you like watch the sessions, like drivers actually came out to watch this go down. Even like non-Andretti drivers. I know I saw Connor Daly there. Obviously, Andretti driver from last year. I mean, Andretti driver who was last year's Indy 500 champion, Alexander Rossi, was there. Um. The person who was probably the most excited, though, was Mario Andretti, who at 3 in the morning flew out to Indianapolis for this. Wow, Mario flew out at 3 in the morning for this. Yes, he flew out, but, he did commentary the entire time. Yeah, in all fairness, he was amazing. Like, And props to Kevin Lee as well, who had to host the broadcast, because that was, that was a lot of time for him they had to go through or during that program in the morning before Alonso was ready to go, and... Mario Andretti had just all these great stories about his, about his time driving, and he was great entertainment, and you know, he threw shots at Jennifer, which I thought was fantastic. Like, um, probably, like, if I had to watch practice all mo- a month of May, that three-man booth that they had, Kevin Lee, they had Mario Andretti, who obviously everyone knows, the world champion, the former world champion and Indy 500 champion, and Johnny Sutherland the last McLaren driver to win the Indianapolis 500. And him and Mario having conversations about when they were rookies and how rookie orientation was back in their time was incredible and also a bit worrying because the amount of effort you had to do to be allowed to race in Indianapolis, Alonzo would not have been allowed to call up. Like, Alonzo would have not been allowed to race in Indianapolis. Want to test a bit more about that, King? So... Back in the 60s, when both Andretti and Sutherland were rookies, obviously this was before electronic and timing scoring was a thing. So, for rookie orientation, before you could even race, like, before you could even practice at Indianapolis, you had to participate 
at two over races on the national championship uh, in the national championship before then without incident. So you so back in the 60s they had paved ovals they also still had dirt ovals so you could have been racing at a dirt oval to try to be allowed to race in indianapolis yeah that's that's nuts there's no way fernando would have made it in now then (laughs) if you do that you still have to go through the rookie orientation program at indianapolis before timing the scoring um before electronic timing the scoring things were a bit different they had four veteran drivers standing at 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 the four corners of of the racetrack and you basically just go out there do your practice session try to go as quickly as you can as safely as you can and basically the veterans come back and they basically give the yay or nay to whether they think you're safe enough to race with out there so it was basically like watching strictly come dancing you have the four judges get together <laughs> and deliver their verdict it's, it's, it's a yes from me <laughs> yes yes it was so, so who pressed the, the golden buzzer for Mario Andretti to take part? Then I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. But he was Mario, so <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that is actually kind of amazing in, in essence. But um, yeah, like this, this was a spectacle. Like this was an amazing spectacle, and I didn't realize that two million people would watch this. And for, in what, in hindsight, was actually ridiculously boring, but. It, again, just seeing Fernando Alonso take part in IndyCar and the impact that it that it has, and seeing one of the best F1 drivers of our generation out there in an IndyCar and you know, crossing the states, and just seeing the ex- the level of excitement from everybody was was fantastic. And that can only be a good thing in the world of motorsport to have people excited for something they haven't seen before. Like that's only a good thing, Jenna. Um, so <laughs> you know. Um, so when you when you weigh it all up, fantastic to see. So, um, King, when's Alonso coming back? When's Alonso coming back? I assume he's coming back uh, next week, Wednesday, when practice when practice for qualifying starts. That should be fun. Looking forward to seeing that. And of I course, mean, there were there anybody... other some other comments made because the because of the popularity of Alonso's arrival. Questions have been raised about what IndyCar should do. And Mark Miles, who's probably the closest thing to Bernie Ecclestone we have, he's the CEO of Holman and Company, IndyCar's parent company. He's not a member of the Holman family, but he's he's been appointed by them as CEO of the series. So um, he says he doesn't think that that this is a strategy for them, for, for the series as a whole. Don't, like, quote, I don't think this is a strategy for us. This happened under a unique set of circumstances. In so many respects, we are not going. We're not going to be following the Grand Prix series around and trying to poach drivers. And I should note, <laughs> in the transcript, there is an exclamation point at the end of drivers. <laughs> <laughs> Said with enthusiasm, we are not going to start chasing their drivers around. So oh dear, oh like, dear. And I think another, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Everyone has heard of Formula One, but we only have one race in the U.S. at the moment. I'm sure they're trying as much as Alonso is in many respects to take advantage of that, but it's good for them. Like, them oh, as in Formula One. Of course. Um, so, yeah, no, IndyCar's not going to try and hook Max Verstappen in a seat anytime soon. No, no, oh, that's. Dear. that's... Oh, dear. <laughs> Like, How bad could that possibly be? Um, I'm pretty sure, like race one, like I'm, race one, Ed Carpenter would put Dix, uh, would put um, Verstappen in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> is is that their idea of rookie hazing? 
Like, you just just, just, put, just punt Verstappen into the wall. It's like, hey, not, welcome to IndyCar. Hey, Carpenter <laughs> tried to do that with Karim last year. <laughs> oh, dear. Like, I don't know if you ever saw that, Katie, from a couple of years ago, but Ed Carpenter almost ran 20-year-old IndyCar rookie Sage Karim into the wall. Karim held firm. He would go on to finish in the top five. And Ed Carpenter marches down about 200 yards down pit lane at the end of the race. Walks up to Karim and in front of the hard camera goes, I don't like your fucking driving, man. <laughs> and almost got into a fight. It's tremendous TV. I haven't um, seen that. Yeah. I have to search that after the podcast. Yeah, basically, as a result of that, IndyCar changed their entire rulebook to say that you, no one can criticize the series or another driver anymore, basically. I mean, people people still do it. Like, that, Emma David, Emmy Davis, <laughs> Davies Dixon does this on a weekly basis still. Uh, the saltiest IndyCar fan. Oh, yes. Uh, I have a loved Emma Davies Dixon. Um, look, like, King, if I end up in America, I have to meet her at some point just for the jokes. She's <laughs> like, I, I gotta meet Scott Dixon's wife. She's just, she's just gold. Yeah, like, if you've ever seen the episode of IndyCar Test Drive and Dixon's on there, like the, it's like their quiz show, their version of Grill the Grid. At the end of the episode, they ask him a funny bonus question, and Dixon said, "Who gets more picture requests, you or your wife?" And then Scott immediately says, "Without hesitation, my wife does." <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't even hesitate on that one. Same deal. But um, congratulations to Fernando on passing his rookie orientation in flying colours. That was awesome. A great spectacle. And hopefully more to come for IndyCar. Um, speaking of F1 King, we got some we got some money figures coming out here. Yes, yes. Um, an article released on Autosport.com has recently released the projected payments this year to Formula One's teams. And... It is, I would say, if if you've looked into F1's finances over the past couple of years, it isn't surprising. If you're new to this, it's going to be a bit startling, considering that, um, again, same as last year, most paid team on the grid, Ferrari. No! <laughs> I'm about third place in the championship, but first place in the bank. <laughs> yep, like the bank manager... Co- the bank manager... Trust me, the bank manager calls Sebastian Vettel sir, trust me. Like, <laughs> like, make, like make no mistake on that one, yeah. And King, there is one enormous reason why that is, isn't there? Uh, like, I, I think that'd be a bit quick to, to jump to that. I'm gonna just quickly, sure. just like, through the most abstract means possible, try to explain Formula One revenue distribution. <laughs> Get your pen and paper out, folks. This is going to be a fun one. <laughs> okay, so the F1 prize fund is mainly and almost entirely split into two pools um, called Column 1 and Column 2 prize money. Column 1 is split evenly through to every team that finishes in the top 10, except for first-year teams. First-year teams get nothing. But, yeah, every Ass. team that finishes in the top 10 gets an evenly split amount of money. I think 2017, it's $36 million. Yes, sir. And then column two, which is equal in size to column one, is split through a, is split unevenly through a sliding scale based on where you finished in the Constructors' Championship last year. So the team who got the most of that pie, 19%, which equals $61 million, is Mercedes. 
last place in this constructors championship um sober they got a four percent piece of the pie which was 13 million dollars here comes where the unevenness comes in oh really go on um because they've been there since time immemorable which aka like 1950 um yep Ferrari gets a long-standing team bonus, which equals $68 million, which is more money than Mercedes got for finishing in first place. (laughs) So, in layman's terms, Ferrari got paid $68 million last season just to show up. Yep. They got that money for just being there. Like, it raises some questions that it's because they, like quote, in brackets, long-standing team bonus, because um, McLaren has been there since the mid-60s. Uh, Williams has been there since the 70s. How come they don't get long-standing team bonuses? Like, so, yeah, like, w- like, what's the threshold here? Like, when do you become a long-standing team? Is like, like, do you have to, like, get one of those, like, 100-year like, birthday cards from the Queen or some shit? Like, I, I, I don't get it. Like, where, where, where's the cutoff point on this song, King? Have you got to be around since 1950? I have no clue. <laughs> Clearly. Because the only team. And you also get uh, bonus money for winning the Constructors' Championship. You get, like, for as long as you're in the sport, you get bonus money if you've ever won the Constructors' Championship. So Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, and McLaren both receive some level of bonus for winning the Constructors' Championship, which, again, is, like... A, between 30 and 40 million US dollars, which is pretty much more than most of the teams on the grid get for just, you know, competing in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, like, Mercedes and Red Bull got $39 million from this last year. That is more than everybody got for Column 1, and it's more than everybody outside of Force India or better got in the Constructors for last year. And then there's... There is other outside agreements. So basically, um, you could say in some ways the Concord Agreement's dead. Like, all the teams don't collectively bargain to compete in the championship. Uh, FOM has individual contracts which each team for them to compete. So I know Red Bull made a, a threat to pull out a while ago. And I, I think back then an FOM representative or Bernie said that would be impossible because, yes, it would be impossible because Red Bull has a contract directly with FOM saying that they will compete in Formula One until at least 2020. And what so do you, are you implying that maybe the FOM gave Red Bull 35 mil under the table to say shut up about quitting? Uh... <laughs> I mean, it's not under the table. I mean, the FOM wouldn't comment... <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> the FOM wouldn't comment on Autosports numbers, but they've been proven to be fairly accurate. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so, 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 yeah, Mercedes co- yeah, Mercedes and Red Bull have got $35 million straight from FOM. Williams has gotten $10 million. Yeah, Williams got ten million basically for taking part alongside, uh, just for taking part. As with Merckx and Red Bull getting thirty-five million each, where that's concerned. So, looking at the entire table and what and what everybody got, yeah, Ferrari were top of the pile with one hundred and eighty million dollars worth of prize money, um, which is again nine million more than Mercedes, who dominated the championship last year. Like they got nine. Um, just, I think they got nine less. They got 171. 
Red Bull 161, and, and then there is like a huge gap back to McLaren on 97. Like, King, what's up with your man's has at the bottom? Um, you, uh, you don't get any prize money uh, in your first year in the series. <laughs> and also, uh, your, column, your column two, it's not based directly off of last year's standings. It's based off of an average over the, I think, the last three Constructors' Championships. So Haas, technically, is almost at the bottom. Yeah, because they're missing the $36 million payment they would have gotten if they had competed, <coughs> say, last year beforehand as well. Um, so that put them at the bottom. They would have gotten more than Sauber, but Sauber got $30 million more than Haas, despite the fact that Haas was two places higher than them on the Constructors' Championship. So, King, like, we've been here before with, with Ferrari making a ton of money just for being there, but, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bullshitty is this? <laughs> uh... Nine, I would go ten, <laughs> but column one exists. <laughs> like, like, I I can't give them ten because just because column one exists. There's no reason. Like, they 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 put some sort of effort. It's like if a student handed in a test, I I give them one point because they wrote their name on it. <laughs> um. Okay, that's a pretty damning verdict there, King. I'll say that it's a. You give them, you gave them the one point simply for spelling their name on the front of the paper. You're one of those dudes, are you? Yeah, yeah. They 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 tried to go for equality. It, it's it, it, it's very token, but they tried. Give them a cookie. I mean, Katie. I mean, it, it, I think it's fair to say. How is a, is an independent team meant to compete when the big three, as we know them in F1, are making 70, 80, maybe 100 million bucks a year more in prize money? I know. It seems, well, I think it probably is the impossible task, you know, unless you've got somebody like Haas has got Ferrari behind them um, or something like that. Then Yeah, they have Ferrari and Gene Haas's bank account. Yeah. It uh, helps. Dream team, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's sad, but I'm afraid that's a really- reality of the sport it's a brutal sport although we love it still we still continue to support it and as mentioned like in in f1 now if you're not in the top four it's not worth it financially really given how we know these teams are spending so much money and these hybrid power units are twice as expensive as what the v8s were beforehand so it's put teams under even more strain to be able to perform well and yeah, like, you, you could see, like, the massive pay differences there. You could see that McLaren, like, even McLaren, which is an established brand that's been in F1 for 40, 50 years now, nearly. In fact, they, did, they celebrated the 50th a couple of years ago. Um, they're not even making $100 million a year on this now. No, 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 and, well, let's, let's be serious here. Yeah. McLaren are fourth in earnings, but finished sixth in the championship last year. Like, they got doesn't, off doesn't easier than they could have been. Yeah, it's it's true. Williams, who were better than them, made t- nearly $20 million less. Force, Force India, India finished fourth in the championship, but sixth in earnings. And they've been constantly getting better year to year for the last decade now, Force India. And that's, that's crazy. And they're still not in the top five for earners yet. That's kind of nuts. And Renault, who is, again, this, they're a, a big 
a big massive factory unit only making 50 million bucks yesterday like 20% less than last year and they had bailiffs seizing their gear on circuit two years ago kind of says it all really it's kind of yeah. bonkers if I was VJ Malia I'd probably have other concerns but <laughs> <laughs> but but oh, it, it, here's the boss <laughs> I would. I'd be looking for crates of champagne from FOM and looking for the nearest harbor to dump them in. Oh, jeez, it's it's not pretty. And as we said, Formula One has got many a fundamental flaw, and this is one of the big ones. Just the disparity in terms of. No, I, I wouldn't who- say this isn't one of the big. This is the biggest problem with Formula One. Really, you reckon so? <laughs> yes, because pretty much it's. It caused a trickle-down effect, because um, the more money you have, the more money you can afford to get better facilities, the more money you can have to hire more staff, you know, the more staff you have, the better facilities you have, the better car you can produce. If you can't produce a good enough car, you're never going to win the championship. If you're never going to win the championship, you're not going to get the money you need to get the the better facilities and more staff. It's a, it's a downward spiral. <laughs> King is going to implode just to, just trying to explain this. It's 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 not pretty, but yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a huge trickle down effect that comes from not teams not getting paid, and I would love to see something like the NFL of a collective bargaining agreement where they could all split the money equally, or at least have you know a bit more disparity where you know you bring the lower teams up a little bit because they're the ones that need the help i mean if you're not in the top four you're surviving in f1 you're not competing and that's probably the biggest issue that comes in f1 and again the trickle down effect is so and great you could, you could arguably say the nfl does more for the people at the bottom because yes all the money is split evenly in the nfl but the most important commodity in the nfl is the players you could put that put out there on game day and at the end of the season the worst team gets the first pick for the best college player yay exactly say so again if you're bo- if you're at the bottom this sport actively tries to pick you back up a bit by giving you the best draft picks and it goes on it's not gonna happen in f1 yeah, in, in, in f1 if you're a new team guess what you miss out on prize money for the first year <laughs> Good luck with that, Hass. Um, thank God g has got very, very deep pockets, to say the yep. least. And isn't it sad when the only way you could enter Formula 1 is if you have deep pockets? Ugh. Oh, dear. Reassuring stuff there, indeed. Reassuring stuff, indeed. So, with that in mind, should we, should we do the mail backing? No, no, one, one more story. It actually, One more story? It actually okay. broke during the recording. Um, oh, okay, go on. It is another comment from IndyCar CEO Mark Miles about oh. <laughs> about the possibility of uh, four new IndyCar races, two of which might be overseas. What? <laughs> yes. Go on. Um, a Chinese auto manufacturer is interested in having a race in China overseas uh, a race in China but uh, they're not sure where that is the first location second location um, race in Mexico okay but it's not in Mexico City it's gonna be in the city of Puebla in in Mexico on a one in, on a on a one and a quarter mile oval a Mexico oval race Yes. Wow! Yes, a Mexico okay. oval race, and we're going to uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. 
And it's going to be, hopefully, a street race in Stampede Park. Calgary is famously known for their Stampede. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure uh, Prince William and Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, went there a couple of years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, I was not entirely sure, but it's a street race in Stampede Park. It's going to be uh, uh, organized, hopefully organized for September of next year. Uh, organized by Rick Peterson. He's the Peterson and Smith Peterson Racing. Oh, yes. Yep. So he's a co-owner of that team. So that one looks most likely the Calgary Street Race because it's going to be organized by an IndyCar team owner. And nice. The last, uh, the last possible venue is going to be a race in America's sporting desert, the Pacific Northwest, in rainy Portland, Oregon, at the former IndyCar venue, the Portland International Raceway. It's a road course, not an oval. the The, the name okay. may say, the name may make you think oval, but it's a road course at Portland International because not a lot of stuff happens in the Pacific North. Northwest. It's like it's the only part of America that really, really, really loves soccer for some reason. Yeah, their expansion team is killing it right now. So yeah, good for them. I, I would um, I would never refer to the Cascadia Cup as killing it because Portland fans in the past have stabbed Seattle fans. <laughs> you had to go there, didn't you, King? You mentioned it. You mentioned it. You doubled down on it. <laughs> This is a you problem, King. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. So potentially four, up to four new races. Yeah, uh, potentially. Can the IndyCar calendar take that? Uh, they're only at 17 right now. Like, again, we're like in the middle of... Usually there's like two or maybe three weeks between some of these races. Like, there's space. Yeah, more back-to-backs, please. <laughs> I'm here for all this racing. Um, so yeah, keep, we'll keep an eye on that as time goes on. Time goes on, that could be very interesting indeed. Um, I'm, I'm sp- especially here for a Mexico City Oval race. That seems pretty intriguing to me. No, no, it's uh, Pablo. Is it no Pabla? Pabla. My mistake. Sorry, Mexican fans out there. King, we're, we're gonna do the mailbag before you alienate any more potential listeners. <laughs> like we've not done well with languages so far in this episode. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> but, hey, hey. My German was on point. Spanish, eh, iffy. Mailbag time. My English is struggling. (laughs) (laughs) Mailbag! 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 Okay, for the love of God, like, let's get this in a mailbag before we piss off anybody else. <laughs> and then again, these are all fan questions, so um, who knows? Like, we may end up pissing them off anyway. But sort it, let's do it anyway. Okie dokie. So, this is an enormous bumper mailbag. So thanks to everybody that chipped in on this one. You really helped out prolong the longevity of this show. So, yeah, we, we, we salute you on that one. Especially Shawnee F1, who's a Patreon backer for the show on this one. The only disappointing thing is he's got a Max Verstappen avatar. Yeah, he can't win them all. Um, <laughs> I'm joking, Shawnee, if you're listening. Um, don't worry about it. Right. See some of his questions now. First one up. 
would it be fair to consider Felipe Massa a driver of the year contender? That's a reach if I've ever seen one of them. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know what to say about that. Like, <laughs> it's like, like I know we like to give driver of the year awards to people in, in like underperforming teams or like midfield teams, but I don't think Felipe Massa that stood out to me that much. And it's kind of hard when the other guy's a rookie. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a bit torn on Felipe Massa. I personally think that he should have left the sport a couple of years ago. Um, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Felipe and he's obviously a talented guy. If he's still getting results, I think, was it like P6 last time? or Ninth in Russia, sixth in Bahrain. Oh, sixth in Bahrain. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I just feel there are other people that were more deserving in that seat and I'm just still really disappointed by Williams putting themselves in the position that they had to get him to come back from retirement maybe I'm yeah. not Williams maybe it's not Felipe Massa yeah. maybe I'm just getting all my rage out poor Felipe he's done nothing wrong, <laughs> he's done nothing wrong. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> raging at the people yeah. in Williams for making such a terrible mistake we were having such a sponsor like that yeah because because of the sponsorship we were robbed of an alex lynn lance stroll partnership oh my god that would have been incredible that's a bummer like i I can't even throw shade at claire because she's got a bun in the oven best of luck claire (laughs) (laughs) all the best (laughs) i'm gonna be really nice and just grip my teeth and say felipe's doing a decent job I mean, he, he really is. Yeah, I'm not on the nine that. Like, he's just doing it. That's all. He should have retired. I mean, he should have. He should have retired. He's doing a decent job. Driver of the year? I would not say driver of the year. I think. I, I honestly think Nico Hulkenberg is a more worthy contender right now. Well, I, I really like. This is going to be a really unpopular opinion, but I think the driver of the year should be. Wait for it, Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> out, get out! <laughs> no man that spins under a safety car wins driver of the year. This is not happening. Oh <laughs> you mentioned Hulkenberg there, but I don't feel he's shown his full potential yet. He's he's getting better by the round, and like I, I I'm, I've been really impressed, especially of his qualifying speed. He has absolutely outclassed Jody and Palmer in every department this year. I don't know how much of that is down to Jody and Palmer himself, <laughs> but like I've been really impressed by Hulkenberg out of all the midfield dudes so far this season. I think Hulkenberg stood out to me as one that's been really really good. But then again, I've always been kind of on the Hulkenberg train of he's always been really good. So. Yeah. You know, maybe that's not a surprise to me, but still, at least that's what yeah, I think. I'd, anyway. I'd probably say if I couldn't pick Botas, I think I might go Esteban Ocon. Yeah, that's yeah, a that's a good shout. I, I like fair. Esteban. That's fair. That's fair. Another one from Sean. He goes, "Is there anything about Sky Sports F1 that you like?" <laughs> well, I don't have. Um, I don't have Sky Sports. So that answers that one. I'm a Channel 4 girl because although we have BT Sport, we don't have Sky. But, yeah. Ah. I actually have a really embarrassing story about this. Well, go, go on. I don't have Sky, right. I probably shouldn't admit to this. This is awful. Right. So I went to a Williams Martini racing event. Um, it was like a media event before the, uh, the British Grand Prix. I think it must have been 2014. And so I'm 
sat by it's in this uh, foosball place in Shoreditch. Of course, it would be Shoreditch with a bar literally dedicated to table foosball. Um, and uh, I was chatting to this guy who was at the bar, and he looked all very professional. He's in his white shirt and mm-hmm. chatting with him, telling him what I do. And he's like, "Oh, well, that's really interesting." So I said to him, "Oh, right. Like, do you work with Williams?" Or and he's like, "Oh, no, no, I work for Sky." And I was like, "Oh, wow, that's cool. What do you do in Sky?" Like thinking he's a producer, cameraman. He's like, "Oh, uh, my name's Simon Lazenby. Like, oh, I don't watch Sky. Sorry." Oh my god! <laughs> oh. His ego must have gone to the size of like one of the little table foosball balls. It, oh like, my god! No. I, I've seen some terrible internet. things happen to Simon Lazenby on air. That probably takes the cake. <laughs> burn! Burn! The sickest of burns! And it was a complete accident! It was a complete like, accident. I was like, oh, sorry, mate. Like, then I was like, off I go. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, a, that was the first time I met Simon Lazenby, but we're like best friends now, so it's fine. That is one of the funniest things I've ever heard on this podcast. <laughs> I've done 85 episodes. That's gold. That, that is unbelievable. You didn't the even really... thing is, I have so many more stories like this of just me totally embarrassing myself. Uh, okay, like, every time Katie comes on the show now, we have one Katie Fairman journey story. Like, th- this oh, is yeah. now official. <laughs> Last time it was Felix Rosenquist and a wasp. Do you remember this? Yes. yes. yes I do. That was like the last time. Literally him running to the other side of the paddock because he was running away from a wasp. <laughs> and I was like, are we going to finish this interview or are you just going to seek shelter in your team garage? So, speaking of that on a segue real quick, like, did you see this, the viral video of Cal Crutchlow getting a wasp stuck in his racing yes. suit? Yes, that was insane. It's like some really funky dance move on his bike, but... Yeah, he was all like a, a wasp king flew into his suit and he got stung six times. Oh, dear, <gasps> Did six he really? Times? I didn't know he got stung. Yeah, he got stung six times. He had to strip yeah. down when he got back because he, he qualified on the front row. It was during he qualified first. He was he was in Park Ferme basically, mm. and he had to he had to skip the interviews and go off to the side and unzip his levers and basically just make sure it was dead because he got stung about five or six times. He said in the interview afterwards, it was Christ. again. It's on the BT Sport MotoGP Twitter page if you haven't seen it already. But it Are you sure nuts. we're not sponsored by the BT Sport MotoGP Twitter page? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know, Katie. Let's, 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 let's have a look at the next question. And the question is, how would you react yeah. if F1 went to BT Sport? Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, BT Sport, like throw some cash our way. Yeah, exactly. After some free subscription service or something. Yeah. Can, you, can, you at least, can you at least give us your talent for interviews? At least, like, I will settle for that. Like... <laughs> But um, me, I, I'm none the wiser. Money is money. It's going from one pay TV channel to another really expensive pay TV channel. So I wouldn't really care. I, it depends on who they could bring with them as personalities that, that could enhance or maybe, you know, downgrade the product, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, I don't know who they'd even bring in, to be honest with you. Like, I know Martin Brundle followed the money when he went from BBC to Sky, for example. He openly admitted that, you know, he's got kids' mouths to feed. Um, I don't know who else they could bring, but I would be pretty, you know, I'd, I'd be shrugging my shoulders because I'm getting rid of my Sky Sports next month anyway. So, you know, I'm not really all that fussed. I don't know about you, King. <laughs> Ooh, like, again... Uh, the only way I can watch British coverage is through totally legit sources. Of course. 
Hashtag. So, to me, again, it wouldn't mean much, and I'm pretty sure that... I don't know. The, uh, there's something about BT Sports coverage of MotoGP that just seems a bit, like... It feels like the the, pro- the production values don't seem as high as Sky Sports. They don't. They don't. I, like, as a guy that has been to some of their TV products, like I, I was down there when they used to have to the show MotoGP tonight on BC Sport. They 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 film pretty much all their all their content off the same studio. It's kind of nuts, and yeah, like it's it's not as high budget as Sky. I'll tell you that for free. And yeah, like some of their presenters and their their magnum opus of basically back anything British and have Keith Hewen commentate on Valentino Rossi with his jeans wrapped around his ankles, I'm not a particular fan of, to say the least. Um, Katie, though, would be delighted because she has BT Sport. Don't you, Katie? I do. Thanks <laughs> to <laughs> mum and dad. <laughs> They're uh, paying the bills. But yeah, they, I don't like mind BT Sport. Like, the MotoGP coverage, it's not great, but then I've only been following MotoGP seriously for, well, since last year, so it's what I'm used to. Yeah. But um, Susie Perry, I think, as a, a presenter, I think she does a good job. She did a good mm-hmm. job with the F1. I've followed her since her gadget show days. Me too. Absolutely. Class program. Yeah. It's brilliant. Um, yes. Uh, but, yeah, I... I don't have Sky, but I don't think it makes me any less of a fan for not having Sky F1 and not having every session live and everything like that. Because at the same time, you've got things like the internet and Twitter to keep you updated. Sites like Autosport Live. Get that yeah. In there. <laughs> keep my of course happy. you did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think it makes me any less of a fan for not having Sky. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, any time that a major series switches like broadcasters in the UK, America gets something out of it. Because I, I remember when MotoGP switched, we got uh, we got Toby Moody, so that was great. Oh yeah, Toby Moody's great. Yeah, he went from hosting MotoGP in the UK to um, commentating on Global Rallycross here in the US. I've mentioned this on Black Live on many occasions, but I miss the golden era of Toby Moody and Julian Ryder commentating MotoGP races together with Spalders and Randy Mamola. Like those, those were the days. Those were the days on British Eurosport. Oh, it was a better time. Anyway, another one from Shawnee, and this is probably one more, one more for you, King, because I'm not a big music guy. But he asked top five rappers. Oh, I'm not a big music guy either. But okay, top five rappers. I'm gonna have to go with um, Kendrick Lamar. He's yep. he's really good. Um, where, where's 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 cooking Matt? Where's cooking Matt? <laughs> They'd be perfect for this sort of situation right now, but they're not there. They're, they're busy taking social media hiatuses <laughs> and, and generally being pests of race car Twitter. But um, shout like, out to those guys. Yeah, it's like <laughs> besides like Kendrick Lamar and Jay Z, like. I'm pretty sure I would just be like reading off a most popular list. Like those yeah. are probably like the two that I like consciously like know are good and that I enjoy personally. Big music person, Katie. Yeah, I wouldn't say rap is particularly my scene, but having said that, there are two artists that spring to mind. I don't know if you classify them as rap, but there's a chap called John Bellion, who's an American mm-hmm. guy, um, who I think is absolutely brilliant and I love his stuff and also he's on the same label as a guy called Logic who's recently released an album I think he released it Friday 
Um, but yeah, both really good. Six shouts. How many plugs is she getting in this, this episode? Like, this is like we're going to be sponsored by Autosport at this rate, which is totally not a bad thing. They're, they're amazing, clearly. But yeah. um... <laughs> we've, got we've got BT, we've got Sky, we've got Autosport. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're making bank. Um, <laughs> clearly not because we're giving it all away for free, Dre. <laughs> We'll have them fight over us. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, like, Zoe Hamilton, a.k.a. is yes, that Zoe from the Grid Girls. Hi, Zoe. Um, she asks, most obscure facts that you know. King, this is right up your alley. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Okay, most obscure fact I know that I have not mentioned on this show yet. Um, second motor race in the United States ever was also in... 1896, same year as the London the Brighton race. It was a race here in the United States, and it was sponsored by, it was actually sponsored by and organized by um, Cosmopolitan Magazine here in New York City. Mm, very nice. Um, um, if, if you don't know, um, you probably know Cos- Cosmopolitan Magazine by their short name, Cosmo, because they're like a women's lifestyle magazine now. They weren't back in the 19th century, but now they are. They got with the times, you see. Back <laughs> with the times, like, up oh, top ten sex tips. A subscriber, aren't you? No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> like, any guy that tells you they don't read glossy magazines are a liar. <laughs> Sorry, it's just how it is. Lies like I I am one of those guys that will happily skim through his mother's closer magazines on occasion because oh, that trash. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, I was looking for support here. Sorry, not absolute garbage. God <laughs> damn you! You've got to read your glamour or your Cosmo or your. Oh, God, I don't know. I don't that involves that. spending money, Katie. <laughs> This is why, well, I don't anymore because I left my job today, but that's why I need to work in a hairdresser's because you get to read all that shit for free. We need to go back to the good old days where Cosmo was a literary magazine and they sponsored motor racing. Yeah, oh god, what I'd do to have motor racing in Cosmo. <laughs> I might actually buy it. And, and, and here's our full page spread on Lewis Hamilton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Top 10 sexiest F1 drivers. I'm like, oh god, take it. Coming to you live on Autosport next month. Yeah, um. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got that set up as a feature. <laughs> <laughs> like Zach Brown, you lied to me. You said Autosport wasn't going to change. um i haven't i'm not a big obscure fact guy but i i do know that i I, instead i'll improvise and we'll read off the facts on this snapple cap (laughs) see see snapple get another shout out there marco if if you're listening (laughs) why won't you return my calls marco um But I will read the snapper cap on the back at the top of this cap. It says, if the Fuma Lyra were a digital camera, it would have 576 megapixels. The more you know, kids, the more you know. Uh, <laughs> Katie, you got one? Or am I going to move on? <laughs> I don't really have any obscure facts. I'm just going through Uber facts, which is normally where I get my pointless knowledge from. The yep. only one I can think of is something like, I think it's a crow remembers every face it sees. I'm sure I haven't made that up. I'm sure that's what I'm Yep. But- I don't know. I'm absolutely rubbish at facts. 
Yeah, I, I can't help you on that one. Watch the king is king is an, is an encyclopedia. God bless him. But um, I am I am not that sort of dude. Um, Shawnee back to Shawnee goes and he asks which team has the biggest performance gap between their drivers. Should we, should we just say Renault? Next question. Renault, yes. I think that's fair enough. Like the only, a, 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 like anyone? Renault would have a smaller gap between their drivers if they replaced Julian Palmer with his younger brother Will. Yes, thank you. Will, Will's brilliant. Yeah. Which is funny because his next question is: If Palmer was booted out mid-season, who would be his replacement? <laughs> I didn't make that. That's, that's literally the next question. <laughs> wow, that's a nice segue. Well, I still want them to Fernando Alonso to leave McLaren Honda and go to Renault halfway through the season, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm I'm all for Ronnie Rowland getting the seat. Um, yeah, I'm I'm agree with Dre. I'd I'd like to see Oliver Rowland in that seat. It's like I would like I really like to see Will because it would be hilarious. There would be plenty of memes of of a driver getting replaced by their younger brother. But again, I don't think Will's quite ready yet. Maybe like if Palmer could keep if like Jolin Palmer could keep his seat for like one more year, then we can see it. We shall nickname him Ralph. Uh, <laughs> going back to Zoe real quick for a second as well. She also asks, how many chilies can you handle at once? So who's into their spice? Oh, dear. I'm the worst of spices. I'm such a wimp. Me too. So like... I'm terrible. <laughs> to, be fair, to be fair, like me free, like me and King are not your stereotypical Jamaicans. We can't handle spice, unfortunately. <laughs> It's one of those because you know we cook with a lot of spice in our food, and it's like I can't handle it. I'm terrible. I, I mean, like, I, 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 I like I like spice when it adds flavor, but not heat. Not heat. Like you, you, you've seen one too many episodes of Man vs. Food, then have you? Yeah? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. No, I'm not watching Man vs. Food again. <laughs> It'll put you off life. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, Back to Shawnee Nimbox again. He goes, favorite F1 TV intro sequence. Now that's an interesting one. ITV maybe. No questions asked. It depends on which one. Depends on which intro you're going with here. Because like some of the ones are really corny. Like, oh, we're gonna just gonna throw this Chinese person on here because stereotypes. That's fun. Um, um, but I, oof, I'm trying to think here. Like. I know you can't really beat the chain, but I did genuinely like ITVs back in the day. Like, ITVs with Moby's Lift Me Up was really, really good. I can't argue with that one. King, what has NBC got over there for you? <laughs> uh, I probably wouldn't pick NBC for US interest. I'd probably pick... I'd probably pick uh, Speed TV, like Fox's motorsports channel. They used to broadcast for only one before NBC did. I'd probably pick theirs just for, like, nostalgic, because it was, like... I'm pretty sure they kept the same intro for like a good like 15 years. Um, also, I've got to give a shout out as well. Back in the days when ITV was like in the late 90s, they had Jamiroquai's do the intro for him. That was pretty sick too. That was actually the former intro for this very podcast, believe it or not. Yeah, it was. You've got to go way back for that one. See if you can find it on the archives and shout out if you do. Um, that's one from Shawnee. You asked, Star Wars or Doctor Who? Star Wars. Straight in there, Star Wars. Mmm. King? I... Wait, what was the question? I was kind of, I was, I got caught up in the nostalgia and watched the intro on YouTube. <laughs> you get. <laughs> Star Wars or Doctor Who? Star Wars. Yeah, boy. 
Yeah, like, I, I, I'm trying to back for Doctor Who here as hard as I can, but the series has gone off such a cliff the last two or three years that I kind of have to say Star Wars because the new films have kicked serious ass. Like, if, if so. I had to pick, like, if it was, like, specific, like, a specific season of Doctor Who, maybe Doctor Who would win, but, like, overall, in general, Star Wars. What's your favorite series of Doctor Who, then, King, real quick? Uh, I want to say ooh, which season? Um, it was probably one of the um, early David Tennant seasons, where it was like, like I was again, three, unpopular opinion. Donna was my favorite companion. Hashtag that's, Donna is the best companion. That's that's not that an, that's not an unpopular opinion, King. Like I know everybody loved Donna Noble. <laughs> like I'm Team Martha Jones, so I know the feeling on this one, but. Like, I think that's a more unpopular selection. <laughs> I will fight you over this, King. <laughs> I, I, will, I will fight you over this one, King. Trust me. Like, I, he doesn't know. He's, he's muted his mic for that very reason. <laughs> <laughs> he, wants, he wants none of this. <laughs> but, um, yeah. O- overall, Star Wars for me, to be honest with you. Um, Kevin Surhans asks, Do you think the B-Spec Red Bull can compete with Ferrari and Mercedes? Um... Uh, how do how do I break it to them? How do I break no. it to them that it's going to be a no? Yeah, like, Red Bull are not suddenly going to find three quarters of a second in the space of like five races. So I'm 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 with King on this one. It won't be like Red Bull are going to be playing catch up probably all season long. I reckon they're a long way off where yeah, they yeah. need to be. The, the gap right is going to be smaller, but there's still going to be a gap. We mentioned it. Verstappen finished a minute behind Valtteri Bottas's winning car in Russia. That kind of says it all. Uh, more than anything else. Um, going back to Shawnee again, he says, "Where did you where did you get the music for the segue between topics?" This is this is this is a question we've actually got on a lot on this show. Um, the intro is custom made for us from Adam Johnson, former host of the show. He also has borrowed songs from the Wipeout soundtrack over the years. If you've ever, ever been a fan of the video game series Wipeout, they have, a, they have a lot of really great songs in there. And I believe he uses the Piranha theme in there a lot um, as one of our segues. I can't remember on the other one that he's got. But, Shawnee, I will tweet you personally what, um, what, what the full list of what, the music we use in there. But off the top of my head, that's what I can remember for you. So, uh, yeah, that's a little behind-the-scenes question there for you. Um, Vic, the Rainmeister on Twitter, asks, After Haref, is, it, is MotoGP, does the MotoGP title now a three-way battle? I think it could be a four-way battle. There's, there's ten points covering the top four right now. Like, Ma- Mavericks... Sorry, no, Rossi's got a two-point lead on, on Vinales. Marquez is two points behind him. And then Pedrosa's six behind Marquez. So there's only ten points covering the top four through four rounds. Like, this has actually been a really gnarly season so far. <laughs> At least that's what I think, anyway. Help me out here, somebody. <laughs> what, what do you guys reckon? What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm going to... Uh, I mean, I think it'd probably be more of a three-way fight than a four-way fight. As, as amazing as Danny Pedrosa's performance was in Jerez uh, over the weekend... I still think, yeah, it'll be between Rossi, Vinales, and Marquez. Katie, don't put that on Twitter. The Pedrosa Hive will come after you. <laughs> that's that's why I was so hesitant. Like, the minute... I, I think, like, the most ever I get tweeted about any episode is either when I make a comment about Max Verstappen, because the Dutch people 
will always find me, <laughs> or I comment about anything involving MotoGP. Don't mention Pedrosa's. Don't mention Pedrosa's name in vain. Like there will be a bunch of angry fangirls chasing after you, <laughs> sending um, me Pedrosa gifts. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That happened a lot on Sunday. You, you wouldn't believe it. Um, yeah. I've already answered that one with Shawnee regarding the, the B-Spec Red Bull. Um, Kevin Zerhans asks again, which team do you think can develop quicker, Ferrari or Mercedes? Uh, King, I'm looking at you here. I, I, probably Mercedes. I'd say they're... I'd probably say they're going to be fairly equal. They have about the same amount of resources. Like, unless it involves, like, unless it, like, unless to in this development race they're going to start hiring people to try to get an advantage over each other, I'd probably give it to Mercedes because they're in Brackley and Ferrari are in Italy, which is nowhere near England. Good sure. geography knowledge there. <laughs> Well, well done, King. You're recovering there slowly. <laughs> a, a plus. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with that. I think I think the only thing there'll be a standout name in that department just yet. I'm hoping it's in red. Just saying. Um, Vic asking again: Has Dre recovered from that Carly Lloyd free kick? In case you missed it uh, this weekend, me and King had some games of FIFA with each other with some surprising results. Yes. Um, Go, go on, King. Oh yes, because it was it was due to popular demand that, that I called Dre out, and the internet says Dre, you better face off against King. Yeah, bad idea, King. Bad idea. You cannot touch me in a game of FIFA. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it just, it just whoa, 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 whoa! I lost, but I was able to touch you. <laughs> out of context, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You could not have made that sound any worse if you were tried, King. Well done. Like, is this Top Gear to you? Like, jeez. Um, yeah, I, I did post a video highlight of said Carly Lloyd free kick that King absolutely nailed embarrassingly during our final game playing as the US. He was the US Women's National Team, um, and Carly Lloyd. Connie Lloyd drilled me, unfortunately, with that free kick. Again, wording could have been better on that sentence, but who cares? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I might, what I might do is I might put the full Twitch, or I might put the highlights of that up on the YouTube channel later this week. So just stick around for that. Um, it might be up by the time this goes out. Who knows? Um, I will, I will sit that one out there. Well, one for you as well, King. As well from Vic as well. Um, tuned or the Penske games? The Penske games. <laughs> Yes, the Pensy games are hilarious. Um, Katie, if you haven't already, YouTube the Pensky games on YouTube when you get a chance. They are great. It is all four IndyCar Pensky drivers, Will Power, Simon Pagano, Helio Castroneves, and Joseph Newgarden, and their three NASCAR drivers, um, Joey Logano, um, Brian Blaney, and Brad Kozlowski, taking part in a series of really fun and amusing challenges, such as... Well, drawing cars while blindfolded and going through the alphabet backwards. It's way funnier than I'm making it sound. Trust me. 
Um, you will you will love it. I guarantee it. And just don't get obsessed with, the, with Chubby Bunny. And after you listen to that episode, you'll, you'll see what I mean when you get there. Trust me. But for me, I like the Pepsi games more. It's just funnier. It's just funnier than what Tuned was. Like Tuned was good. Don't get me wrong. I I thoroughly enjoyed it when it was around. I think Alexander Armstrong stole the show in Tuned more than any driver that they had on there as Professor M. But um, for me, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Pepsi games. Um, well, this is going to be a fun one from Len. This is going to piss some people off. The worst driver in F1, IndyCar, and MotoGP, and why? At the moment or all time? Let's go with at the moment. That's probably easier. Oh, God. I, I have a feeling that my my picks are not going to be liked by a whole lot of people. <laughs> go on, King. You first. I want to go with the one that's going to hurt the most. <laughs> Go My on. IndyCar pick for worst driver at the moment. And I, it's through no fault of his own. <laughs> but I'm going to have to go with Max Chilton. Really? Oh, man. Max Chilton. That's interesting. Um, so how about F1 and MotoGP then, King? Oh, okay. F1, Jolin Palmer. Sorry. Sorry, Joe. I love you. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, no, you don't. You, <laughs> you so fucking don't. <laughs> and MotoGP. MotoGP. Oh god. I don't. I don't want to pick my boys. <laughs> it's like go on. Uh, uh, nah, actually, I don't have to pick either of my boys at KTM. Sam Lowe. Sorry, Bex. <laughs> <laughs> you went there. <laughs> Bex is going to come after you with, and you'll have a stiletto sticking out of your neck next week, King. Like Jesus Christ. Um, ladies first. Go on, Katie. <laughs> oh, Dre. How convenient. You get to go last. <laughs> exactly. It's my show. Well, I don't watch IndyCar, so I so can't you, have an opinion on that. You can skip that one. I can skip that one. <sighs> This is tricky because I don't like saying that they're bad drivers because they're all really good drivers and they wouldn't be in F1 and MotoGP if they weren't good drivers or riders. The term bad is contextual. Stop being so bloody nice. Yes, they, they, they are in the bottom. <laughs> 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 I just said Tony and Paul was straight away. Yep. That's oh, amazing. I love this show. Well, li- life oh, is hard when you're the bottom of the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> I Brilliant. once got on a flight behind Jolie, oh, in front of, front of Jolie and Palmer. Oh, oh so, really? So even story. at one time, Katie Fairman was ahead of Jolie and Palmer somewhere in a race. <laughs> <laughs> like, how big of an yeah, achievement like, is that? Really? EasyJet, guys. It's a uh, you know. Wait, wait. Jolie and Palmer flies EasyJet. Man, Jolie and Palmer upgrade yourself. I know. <laughs> Business was, class, at least. It was literally like the whole of the Skylot and Jolene Palmer and Felipe Nazza and his dad. And I was like, oh my God, if this plane goes down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Like if this plane goes down, Channel 4's ratings are going to go up. Exactly. (laughs) And and MotoGP then, Katie, given you just got into the series? (sighs) I don't know. I think. Oh, this is going to be a really long pause. I haven't had the chance to think about it. <laughs> you know what? I'll spare you the embarrassment. You're the guest. I'll do mine. Okay. Yeah, Formula One, it's a, it's a hat trick for Jolie and Palmer. 
sorry, Jodie. We love you too. No, we don't. <laughs> um, you mocked me on Twitter that one time. I'm not going to forgive you for that one, Jodie. I'm sorry. Jim over it, Dre, was one time. I don't care. It was one time too many. <laughs> Screw Jody and Palmer. I'm not I'm having none of this. Um, yeah, Jody and F1. IndyCar. Oh, man. That's a tough one. Yeah, it's, re- it's really close there at the bottom. It really is. Like... There's three or four names you could put out there, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be a shock, especially now that Hawksworth's gone. Yeah, um, like, this makes this a lot harder. Like uh, <laughs> to, to run down the bottom five in the driver standings from 16th to 20th, it is um, Charlie Kimball 16th, Graham Rahal 17th, Max Chilton 18th, Mar- Marco Andretti 19th, and Connor Daly 20th. Okay, we can't go Graham because he's been he's been the top Honda in the titleship for the last two years. We can't go with Graham. As much as I'd love to, just for clarity and, you know, comedic purposes. It, uh, Kimball would fit the aesthetic of this show, really, wouldn't it? But I can't go Kimball. Yeah, Kimball has had 8th place this year, and he's somehow he's in 16th place in the championship. But yeah, but that's the thing, like, like Kimball will actually probably finish around the top 10, because Kimball's just slightly above average. That's the whole point of Kimball. Like, he's actually decent, it's just he's not an elite-level guy. Um... Oh, God. Yeah, like, Marco is 19th, but has a 7th place. Uh, Max is 18th, but again, he's his best finish is 12th. Connor has not finished higher than 14th. But, it, like, it, it obviously m- it's not his fault, because his car is, like, his team is just trash. It's, like... It's so I hard. Can't... I just went with Max, because he was obvious. Max has, like, fantastic equipment, but, like, he's just not that quick out there. Yeah, Max Chilton probably would have to be my pick as well on that one. And um, yeah, Connor Daly, you got a lucky escape. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, um, like our, our we we have a really tightly knit fan base that really, 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 <clears throat> really loves Connor Daly. Yeah, it's kind of a problem. But even his fan, even that fan base, hi Lizzie and Danny, uh, openly started to admit Daly's a bit shit, <laughs> which whoa, I think whoa, is kind whoa, of funny. AJ, like, even, like, Carlos Carlos Munoz, his teammate, who is, like, usually spectacular, has not been. Yeah, Foyt is a pile of garbage at this point, so, you know, like, I'm okay with yeah. that. Moto, MotoGP, I would probably say Tito Rabat, unfortunately. Yes, my um, boy's escape. <laughs> um, I was tempted to say Carol Abraham, but, hey, Carol Abraham has qualified on the front row in a race this season and has a top 10 finish to his name. Okay. Oh. For, for Katie's sake, I'll run 17th down to the bottom in MotoGP. 17th is Suzuki's entry at Iannone. Uh, 18th is Carol Abraham. Uh, 19th is Tito Rabat. Uh, 20th is Alex Rins. 21st is Bradley Smith. 22nd is Parla Spagaro. Then, not classified in the championship because they haven't scored any points, Sam Lowe's and Tosada for Suzuki. No, we're not going to have two for Sam Lowe's, are we? Bex will never forgive me for this. You put this up on yourself, Dre, when you took that mailbag question. My bad. Go on, Katie, whenever, whenever you're ready. <laughs> um, yeah, I might have to, to say Sam Lowe's then. I'm very sorry. I'll just remove myself from this 
Sodomy, listen to me. When you're editing this show together, whatever you do, do not send that clip to Bex. Like, I va- I value my existence on this earth, actually, okay? Actually, if, if Bex ever wants to listen to this episode, just dub over my pick with Bradley Smith. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. So with that exact same audio clip. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You people are... You people are bastards. <laughs> um, Matt himself from MSTF1 at Skeletor asks, do you like your sausages boiled or fried on a pan? Serious questions on this show, guys. What about an oven? <laughs> oven bake? Ugh. I oh like mine... God, I, I like mine... You are very posh, Katie. <laughs> my God. Like, I'm I'm a fry-up sort of guy, so like I, I like mine fried. I was... Yeah, I'm with Dre. Fried. Fried. <laughs> Katie is posh as all hell. She eats, she eats dinner at the Ritz, clearly. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a great one. For, this is a great one as well from our man, our Bike Live main anchor, Mr. Lewis Sutterby himself. He goes, After the Spanish Grand Prix went nothing like Bike Live predicted it would, what are your worst motorsport predictions ever? Oh, oh. I've called people out on their bad predictions. I haven't had a bad prediction as my fantasy. Oh, shut <laughs> up! <laughs> fantasy IndyCar standing can, can attest to I am fourth in the world in fantasy IndyCar. I'm looking forward to that free trip to next year's Indianapolis 500. Thank you, Mark Miles. See you there. <laughs> yep. Katie apparently has got to shoot off in a minute, but if you ever had a really bad prediction before you go... Prediction. Oh god. Ah, oh, I don't know. I should have probably looked at these mailbag questions before I came on, so I'd actually have some answers instead of just me going. Um. <laughs> How about this for a bad prediction? You you may have missed like you missed out on the chance to uh, recognise Simon Lazenby at a Williams meetup. Well, I think that could be the one. <laughs> I mean, what a point for me to leave on. <laughs> yeah. Like, on serious though, Katie, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome anytime. Seriously. Bless <laughs> you guys. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, you take care, darling. Yeah, take bye. Care. Bye. We were ten minutes shy from the end, King. It's terrible. How many mailbag uh, questions do we got left? Just the one, luckily. But I, I like, like we almost made it, man. So close. But um, for me, I have to say, and it was brought up on my own personal Twitter earlier today, I thought that Lewis Hamilton was effectively killing his career by going to Mercedes. You messed up big time, bro. I I effed up. I effed up hard. I like, mean, that was... me being a historian knew that Mercedes was going to be successful. I didn't know how. I didn't know they were going to be that dominant. I know Lewis still had a chance of winning a championship. I didn't know it was basically going to be open goal, but I knew it wasn't like throw career away yeah that, that that wasn't my finest hour i've got to be honest with you on that one that was that wasn't pretty um yeah so for me i thought lewis hamilton was done by going to mercedes i didn't think they were good enough to win races and he won a grand prix on his first season there and of course well we all know what happened next yeah. not my finest hour uh last question i believe from joe ellis who asks does Ryan King have a favourite football team? And I mean proper football, not that American thing they insist <laughs> on calling football. He's so English, it's painful. Oh, okay. Do, do I reveal to the world 
my who my allegiances lie with. Yes, yes, you do. I, I try to keep it secret for so long because like it, it never goes well when people know which football club you support. Tell the world, King. Okay, everyone, I support Manchester United. He's with me, you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, we're both United fans, and King has a small allegiance to New York City FC. Uh, um, it, it basically doesn't exist anymore. Like, I stopped caring about that dumpster trash team. Like, <laughs> uh, But David Villa, King. David Villa. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pirlo, King. Pirlo. <laughs> <laughs> the man has an amazing beard. <laughs> But, um, yeah, like, I, I'm a United fan as well as leading. I have a soft spot for Inter Milan as well. And um, we're not going particularly well this season in both of those endeavours. Less said on that, the better. But sure enough, a little bit more. There's actually a couple more that I did miss out on from Shawnee. A couple more to close the show. Um, when the first F1 driver that was younger than you made their debut, did you feel old? Um, for me, it wasn't so much driver it was right of when i saw fabio quattararo making his world championship debut at age 15 i was like oh god <laughs> it was terrible like, he is born he was born in january of 1999 <laughs> and, and, and my brother is a year older than him almost to the day it's 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 it it, it made me shit myself looking at that i was like god they're getting they really are getting young now these dudes because Fabio dominated the junior championship the year before at age 15 and was able to... Like, they bended the rules to get him into the to the main world title before he turned 16. Which is just how nuts it was, really. What about you, King? Oh, who was the first guy younger than me? Like, uh... Like, the first guy that I knew felt, like, uncomfortably close to me in age was probably Jaime Aguasuari. But he was, like, a year or two older than me. I was gonna say, like, I probably would have guessed Aguasuari for you, but, um... Because, yeah. like... He felt he was uncomfortably close to me in age, and two, he replaced my boy, Sebastian Bourdais, mid-season. Oh, that didn't help either, I can imagine. And Bourdais was old as hell at that point. (laughs) Um, So for me, probably Fabio. And last question again from Shawnee. Thanks for the help, man. With the absurd amount of money top drivers earn, couldn't they buy their own F1 team or any team from other motorsports? (laughs) No. They, they, They know a black hole when they see one. Like... That is not a clever idea. F1 teams are ludicrously expensive. And the example that King pointed out to me a couple of, a couple of months ago was that if Audi wanted to start an F1 team from scratch, you'd be looking at something like $1.2 billion. Yeah, $1.2 so, uh, billion for a championship contender. I know Gene Haas is burning about $100 mil a year on a team. And who's the highest paid Formula 1 driver at the moment, Dre? I think it's Lewis, but how much a year is he getting paid right now? Lewis is getting about 40, 42 million a year, which so, isn't actually all that big in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, he could probably save up, so by the end of his career, he could probably afford to run a team for, like, one season. Yeah, so, yeah, money is relative in the, in the grand scheme of things. Like, don't get me wrong, he is rich, but he's not, I can own an F1 team rich. Yeah, very few people are that rich. Very few people are that rich. Like MotoGP, it's more realistic because the 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 cost to run a MotoGP team is much lower. Yeah, like again, Clarence Seidel used to have a Moto3 team. That was a fun one to keep an eye on. They used to have a 250cc team. <laughs> yeah, and I know on Bike Live, what you talked about 
Rossi <laughs> getting his he's pretty much guaranteed an entry next year. <sighs> I was nice about it on Bike Club, but I hate that with every fiber of my being. VR forty eight. Um, I mean forty six. <laughs> I mean might as well be forty eight because they're not running number forty six. No. <laughs> to say the least. But uh, that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Motorsport 101. we have some late, 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 late breaking news from oh, the IndyCar world. <laughs> um, they have confirmed there will be at least 33 cars in the 500 because three the three seats have been confirmed. Two from the newest team, Yunkos Racing, have they're expected to announce two entries in the 500, which was surprising because everyone thought it would be just one car. Yep. Sweet. So the two drivers um, are going to be Sebastian Saavedra and yep. our, our well, dear love Spiglet, Spencer Piggott. Spiglet. Yay. And also Come. the third announcement, uh, quote, Racer Magazine has received assurances that Buddy Lazier and his Lazier Partners racing team, which has faced large financial obstacles, will will be entering the month of May. I like that you couldn't even keep a straight face as you finished that sentence. <laughs> that kind of says it already, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, I, I want there to be 34. I want someone to get bumped this year. But how else will Pippa Man compete? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. How will Buddy compete? <laughs> <laughs> you make a good point, my friend. You make a good point. I'm joking. Yeah, um, yeah but um, yeah, that'll do it. Great Shout to see out to Pippa in there. Man. Get that, get that top fifteen this year. Top fifteen. Get that money. <laughs> get that money. But um, yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, again, good good for Spiglet to get another 500 crack, and great to see Junkus racing in in IndyCar proper. We'll be seeing their very first race as an IndyCar full time team. In the month of May. Looking forward to that. Now can I finish stoking? Yes, you could finish the show now. And that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Motorsport 101. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please, you can find us one more time. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And you can follow us personally on Twitter at Harrison101HD and at Ryan Eric King. And if you feel like backing us financially, you can follow us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. It includes early access to this show and our show, other show bike live as well. Um, if you want to follow Katie, who was a fantastic guest, as she always is, you can follow her at Katie Fairman. Yeah, so yeah, check her out. That's Katie with a Y, by the way, just just in case you, you, you weren't sure. But um, thanks to everyone who's listened in. Thanks to everyone who's sending mailbag questions. You guys were great. Much appreciated. How on earth did we go two and a quarter hours? For the love of God, um, yeah, we, we, we got to shorten these things eventually. Like maybe, maybe look, cut it down to like maybe an hour, two, two hour long shows a week. Maybe you 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 can't hear it, but somewhere somebody just threw a tomato at my face, like boo. boo. We like long shows, but um, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Catch you. I'll be back later in the week with Bike Live. So until then. I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Ryan King. Thanks to Katie Feynman for joining us. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye.
King, you made my job so much easier on that intro. Welcome, everybody, to episode 85 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I'm your friendly neighbor host, Mr. Andre Harrison. Okay, and, we're um, going to have to repeat that because I assumed that we didn't start recording. I thought we were just coming up with ideas. <laughs> God damn you, King! <laughs> Luckily, I was recording, so I got that outburst. Leave <laughs> <laughs> <Play> for real. <laughs> Oh, you bastards, King. 